This first-gen Latina wants wealth para todos. You'll learn more about her journey coming up next. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's Dose of Money Confidence. Hola, hola. This is Jen Hemphill. Thank you so much for joining me. This is our second episode in the series for Financial Literacy Month, and I'm just so pumped for it, especially we had such a fantastic March with Financially Strong Latina. Now we've entered April with Financial Literacy Month, and I can't think of a better way to kick it off with this first guest. And let me tell you a little bit about Rita Soledad Fernandez Paulino. She is a former math teacher turned personal finance enthusiast. As the chief financial officer of her family, Soledad has used zero-based budgeting to pay off $23,000 in student loan debt, save a six-month emergency fund, max out IRAs for her husband and herself, max out her husband's 401 account and created an early retirement plan. She is currently studying to become a certified financial planner to ensure more BIPOC and LGBTQ gente can receive financial planning from someone who understands their challenges and dreams. Soledad is committed to talking dinero with anyone willing to listen so that we can all build wealth juntos. In this episode, we discussed the recurring message she received growing up about education and what that meant, why she grew up thinking wealth was not accessible for her, how she decided to focus the message of wealth para todos, and her best piece of advice for other first-gen Latinos like her. Lista? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Soledad. I am so thrilled to finally have you on this podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, and it's such a great honor. Oh, the honor is mine because I know I've been watching you for a bit, and I'm just in awe of how much, one, you've grown, how authentic and real that you are, and people absolutely love that. So I'm just so thrilled to have you here, and let's go ahead and dig in if you're ready. Yes, let's talk dinero. Awesome, awesome. So let's go back in time, take me back when you were a little girl, una niña pequeñita, or maybe you were a teen, something that sparks a memory, some experience, some lesson that you've had around money. You know, if I go real back, I think about being in junior high, and I used to get $20 a month for a bus pass. And instead of buying my bus pass, I would buy clothes on the corner of where I actually would take the bus. And I started to put clothes on layaway. 
And after a while, I had built like, you know, like credit in the sense or like some type of reputation with the owner, the business owner that she was like, no, go ahead. You could take your shirt. You could take, you know, your skirt, even though I hadn't fully paid. And so I think I learned really early on, like the importance of like staying true to like your palabra and like showing up if you say a commitment. And I think that's why I was always able to avoid credit card debt. Because I learned that really early on that it impacts businesses. And I had that relationship with like a small business owner. And as a result of not using my bus money to buy a bus pass, I would walk miles to go to school. (laughs) You got some good exercise. (laughs) I did. And I still love walking like that. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for sharing that. And you're also a daughter of immigrants. So you are a first-gen Latina. I would love to learn and know more about what were some of the challenges that your parents may have had in terms of adapting to the financial system in the U.S. Because it's different and it's a lot when you immigrate and you move to a new country, new culture, everything's on you. And on top of that, you have to figure out the financial system. So tell us a little bit about what those challenges were. It's interesting because I feel in some ways like I'm 1.5 because in terms of my generation, because my parents immigrated here as children. They were six years old. They grew up in the United States. They went to school, elementary, high school, and they even went to college. And so in some ways, I think our financial trajectory would have been so different had they remained married, but they didn't. And so my mom was a single mom who's chose to live close to my abuela. All our family lived close to each other. And one thing that they were very committed about was, again, because of my grandparents, was to buy property. And I think that's very common in the Latino community to build wealth, to build financial security by buying a home. And yet my experience was that my mom bought, she had two homes And she struggled to pay for the mortgage and cover those expenses. And so we grew up house poor in the sense that teníamos casa, but that was it. Everything else was very tight. And my mom would always, it was important to her because she grew up moving from apartment to apartment whenever somebody raised the rent. So she felt it was a financial stability that she provided us by us having a home. But the house, you know, she wasn't able to pay for repairs. There was times where we had issues with the plumbing. And I was taking a shower with like a bucket and water, like old school, you know. And for me, I didn't necessarily feel like our casita brought us stability. It felt like I was always jealous of everyone who lived in apartments because they had Jordans and they had Nikes and they had video game consoles. And we didn't even have a television. And I didn't get internet until I was like in high school. So I felt very, very behind. And that impacted me. I can imagine. And I relate a lot to what you're saying in terms of financial stability. I know with my parents before we moved to the U.S., because I share a lot. I'm not an immigrant since I have the privilege of I was born with the two citizenships. But before we moved to the U.S., I do remember I don't think it was their intention to move here. I don't think they really told me the real story. They told me a little bit of why, (laughs) but they were building a house. Like when we moved, it was not even finished being built. Like, so something happened. Like I know finances were a part of it, but to your point in terms of financial 
stability in terms of like when you uh, bathe and everything. That house was located in un pueblito or is located in un pueblito that was at that point in time where it was like in la montaña y no había electricidad. There wasn't, that part was not established. So <laughs> I know I'm, I'm older than you, but at that time there was no washing machines there. I mean, there was washing by clothes, warming up the water because there's no electricity. So warming up the water in a big old pot on a gas stove so you can take a bath <laughs> to so you can bathe. <laughs> that experience was in a Pueblo. I grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up in Echo Park. And yet that's what my household experience was like. It was washing dirty dishes in a bathtub because the kitchen sink didn't work. It was washing clothes, you know, a mano because sometimes the washing machine didn't work. And I, I think for a long time I felt resentful about this house that required such a mortgage. But my mom, she stuck to it. And she was like, she didn't let it go despite being a single mom. It, it was a priority for her. And guess what? Ahora, this house is, even though it's not even in the best condition, she gets $1 million offers on this home because of gentrification. And it was this house that helped pay for me to go to NYU because she was able to borrow from it. And it's those things that in some ways, like, You know, my mom always likes to remind me, she's like, see, it's because we have that house. Yeah. And also my husband, my two kids and I now rent that same house that I grew up in from my mother. And we have my little brother living here with us and he pays rent too, which is allowing us to invest a lot in the stock market. Mm. And so it's interesting. It's like this dynamic of where I kind of feel like the house, you know, like these financial traumas related to these household experiences. And yet at the same time, like mommy knows best. <laughs> right. It is always interesting to me in terms of investing in property. Yes, it's so common among Latinos. And for a while, I was always exploring why is that? Because I noticed with my parents, my dad being American and my mom, Colombiana, I noticed what they valued in terms of that was different. For her, buying a home, even to this day, just means stability, right? For my dad, it was more about and making sure you have insurance, making sure you're investing for the retirement. And so it's interesting. And also, but they had a conversation, and I think is for the interview, we were discussing about how Latinos just in terms of investing for the long term, the housing properties is what is most common. And in that discussion, it made me realize if you, we look to Latin America, and if it was on a podcast, you're hearing it again. <laughs> if it was in an interview, I don't recall. I have so many conversations around many. Depending on the country, there's not a lot of options for invest. I mean, there's usually the pension plans. And I know in Colombia, there is that pension plan but it, there's some changes, there's a lot of legalities. And then there was, was an option for a time for one for a 1k for their jobs, but it didn't work how people imagined. So I know a lot of people, a lot of countries look to the US <laughs> to replicate what we're doing here, but it doesn't work the same. Then again, like here in the US, the issue of access, right? And then like the trust, 
I think about my own investing journey. And when I first told my husband, hey, you know what? I want to roll over money that I had in a 401k into this rollover IRA. And he was like, I don't know, Soledad, that sounds sketchy. That sounds sketchy. And I was like, no, I mean, I've read about it. I see a lot of people talking about it, people that I trust. I think this is legit. He was like, I've never heard about it. And that's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. When we don't hear about all these vehicles for investing, then we're skeptical. Oh, absolutely. Until we know someone that has done it and we can actually see that they're good with it. Right. (laughs) Trust is so much. Trust is such a huge thing amongst us. Now, I know you mentioned that your parents were little when they immigrated to the US. And I'm wondering if you have any sense or maybe observe something in terms of their financial, because they were little. So maybe their parents passed on to them when they were little financial behaviors or habits that your grandparents maybe carried with them that impacted maybe your parents. Right. Well, they grew up poor. They were both part of big families. And so like my mom was one of six. My dad was one of four. And my dad grew up in a part of LA that was more low income. They prioritized both grandparents set of grandparents really focused on education. My grandparents didn't get to go to school beyond the third grade. And so their whole focus was like anything for them to go to a good school. So my dad was sent to Catholic school. My mom, my grandparents decided to settle in Echo Park because at the time it had really good schools. And so that was the focus. And something that I think made my mom's situation very unique is that my abuela told her, you cannot get married until you graduate from college. And my mom was tan preparada to, you know, casarse. Like she married her high school sweetheart, right? And yet, you know, when my mom became a single mom, it was that degree that was able to serve as some leverage. Both parents ended up going into education and They have pensions, right? So some financial security. But I think what I witnessed from them seeing that they had grown up in poverty, that them having more money than what their parents had made working at a seamstress or at factories, they just spent their money. Mm. And they didn't save really their money. They like, it was el dinero se hizo para gastar. You know, my mom didn't have like an emergency fund. And that was something Mm. that impacted us a lot because when we had problems with the house, she had to put that on a credit card. And so that added up to debt. And it's a lot of it stemmed from this idea that to keep money in a bank account was actually silly, was actually like foolish. And I would even say that my mom probably even thought it was selfish because she grew up having more money and felt like she needed to help other people too. And I witnessed that. And so in my own financial journey, I've seen how like, I definitely always felt like we budget, we have a loved one emergency fund. That's something that I developed because I realized, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know what? Emergencies are going to come up, not just for ourselves, but for our loved ones. And I want to be prepared for it. And to get to this point where I'm like, money is in the bank account, but I don't see that as money for me to touch is a huge shift in my family's financial trajectory. Absolutely. So many similarities because I know with my parents, it was the same thing where both sides, they were their parents. 
Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. Parents, the big thing for them because they didn't have the college education, that was a big push. So my parents were the first to go to college and their family. And I know for my brother and I, I mean, it was a given. I mean, it wasn't even an option. It was like you go to high school, you go to college. It was so it was very interesting. And other thing that you mentioned about your loved ones emergency fund, we've done that too. And that for me at the very beginning. My husband, of course, different family, upbringing, different culture. For him, I know you've mentioned that something that stemmed a lot from your family is that el dinero se gana para gastar. That was something I heard a lot with my husband Mm. when we got married. And he's a black male. And so the culture I know is different. And I know those listening have heard me say that's how at the very beginning of our marriage, one of the things that caused a lot of friction was when family members came to help, he was like, let's do it. They need help. We've got this. Let's just do it. Where I was like, we have to pay bills. We got to take care of ourselves first. And then later on, it took a while to light bulb moment. Why don't we just put some money aside? And then from there. But that has been for our marriage has been such a huge a sense of peace mm-hmm. where we can go, okay, such and such needs help, even though I'm like, well, I can also help you guide you in your finances. Mm-hmm. They don't always take up. Um, but it's a huge relief, especially when family is such an important thing for us and being able to help. Right. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Now let's talk more about in terms of the immigrant experience, but on you, You've hinted a little bit about that, but what are some things that maybe you haven't shared that impacted you and your financial journey from your parents and los abuelos? Ooh, I think a big thing for me was that I didn't grow up thinking that wealth was something accessible for me. I thought that in order to build wealth, in order to have, you know, a house with a green front yard and it to be nice that you had to be like American, American, like white American. And for me, the Latinos that I saw, it was everyone around us. We were hustling. We were working multiple jobs. It was a struggle. And I think I just thought like, that's what life is. I embraced that it. it was always going to be a struggle. And you spend your money and you're in this cycle of hustling all the time because you don't necessarily have an emergency fund and you're buying things that somehow like affirm your worthiness, your like ability to be accepted in this American society. Because, you know, we'd go to Mexico and anything that was like American was seen as like cooler. Right. And so then. There was that dynamic, too, of I remember like, you know, primas from Mexico coming and buying stuff from the United States to then go sell over there. Mm -hmm. That made me think like, oh, so that's what's valuable. That's what's cool. That's what I should strive to be able to buy. So like one of the simple things was like Victoria's Secret, the lotions and the perfumes. And my first credit card was a Victoria's Secret credit card because I thought, oh, this is status. And I think being an immigrant, being someone who also grew up low income in a neighborhood that at the time had a lot of gang violence, 
I felt othered. I felt like I didn't belong in spaces. I still struggle with that, even like within the personal finance community. I feel like, oh, yeah, I'm Latina, but I grew up with divorced parents. And I feel like that's not very common in Latino families. I grew up in violent neighborhoods. My high school had a 54% dropout rate. And I feel like a lot of times that's not what happens. So in that always feeling like an outsider, I think sometimes I spent money and I strived for experiences that may not have even been true to what I wanted and what I cared about, but I felt it was necessary to be accepted. Let's talk about this because you are not alone in that. I've definitely had a different experience where I didn't feel like I belonged, but for other reasons. I definitely grew up just with not a lot of Latinos. And then a sense of, okay, where do I belong? Because the few Latinos that there were, they're like, not Latina enough. But let's talk about because you're with, you know, places like Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, where there's a huge numbers of Latinos that some grow up in situations like you in neighborhoods with violence where there was not enough money in the house. Talk to us and the feeling like not belonging. So now that you say you still struggle with this, for those that are listening at this very moment, what have you done to lessen that sense of struggle? Because I think we definitely need to talk about this. Yeah, what I have committed to doing is showing up as my authentic self and sharing my story, right? And I've done that like in a public format on Instagram where I share publicly some of my experiences and what it has resulted in is other people reaching out to me and saying me too. And that has made me feel like, oh, it's not just me. I'm not the only one. And it just encourages me to keep speaking up and keep sharing because I think there's so much power in community. And ultimately, like, I'm not the only one who struggles with these ideas or struggled because now I don't believe this, but like thinking that wealth wasn't something for me, that was something that I could attain in my life. And yet shifting away from that and now thinking, oh, actually you could be raised by a single mom. You could have been exposed to a lot of poverty and you could learn these financial skills that change your financial trajectory. That is real. That is true. It is happening to me. And it makes me so passionate to share that with as many people as possible and let them know it's possible. And representation matters. I think it's, you know, like just sharing my story and finding people who I can relate to has been a game changer for me. And maybe not even relate to completely, but who at least honor my lived experiences. Where when I say, you know, I grew up in, you know, in a neighborhood with a lot of gun violence, they're not squinting. They're not like, <gasps> you know, <laughs> dramaticos. They're like, oh, yeah, because it's something they're aware of. Right. And so that has helped me a lot. And I love that you're doing that for several reasons. One, it creates a domino effect. I have seen more and more Latinos have Instagram profiles that have something to do with finance. And it makes me so happy. And I hope you know that you're a part of that. I know when I started this or shifted to Herdine It All Matters, the, really the response was unreal. And I'm like, why didn't I start this to begin with? And when I think back, I'm like, well, at the beginning, I'm always looking to fill the back gap. Where does it make sense? Or where am I needed? And when I started, 
no one was talking about women in finance on the podcast space. So I'm like, okay, here I go. <laughs> and then I don't know why did it start for Latinas. And maybe sometimes there's that saying where the timing is right when you're ready, right? Or I don't know if that's the exact saying where you start something and it's, it's not that you should have done it earlier, but when you do it, it's fine. So I just want to acknowledge you that you have had a domino effect and that what you're doing is very, very, very important. And I love seeing other Latinos starting to talk with their own particular situation, whether they're DACA recipients, I've seen that. And it's just so very exciting. Now, you created a platform on Instagram called Wealth Para Todos. And I know it's something very important to you in here and you speak. I'm like, yep, you mentioned that you didn't know or didn't think that wealth was for you. So tell us about why you started Wealth Para Todos. Tell us where that came to be. When I became debt-free, I was excited and I started to feel like I was reading so many personal finance books. I finally had like this blueprint of what we could possibly do to build some wealth. So as I knew about increasing your net worth, your emergency fund, making sure to invest in the stock market. And as I learned about these things, I was so excited and wanted to tell all my friends, all my cousins and talk about it. And nobody wanted to talk about it with me. It was one of those things that they would just give me like, like that nervous little face. And I was just like, oh, and I felt like, okay, maybe they don't want to talk about it. You know, you got to respect people's boundaries. But I was just thinking about people who had grown up in the projects, like my husband, or people who had my high school, 54% dropout right, about 4% who went to college. Within that 4%, most of us went to like community college. So it was like we were such a few little group that was going to pursue a college education. So then, you know, we had to fight through high school to do that. And we have to fight going to college with stigmas of like, we don't belong here. My lived experiences are not spoken about in the classroom. And if they are, it's very stigmatized and it's embarrassing and it's so scary. And I just thought like, I know there's more of us out there and they need to know like, okay, you fought through this. You were able to become a high school graduate. You were able to get a college degree. You were able to start a career. All things that people around you were not doing. Other people were instead like, you know, I have people I grew up with who were in jail, who were killed at an early age, who got pregnant at an early age. And so my circle just felt like, ugh, you know, it's, it was hard. And I thought of those people who it's like, we've come so far. And yet this is, just still the beginning for us. We can continue to go further, but I knew that they would need a support system because I needed it. I needed a community. So I thought, okay, let me just try to find my gente. Yes. And I love that you named it Wealth Para Todos. So others that are thinking like you were thinking, wealth is not for me. I know for me, I didn't know if it was not for me, but I felt a lot of guilt of even thinking of wanting to be wealthy because family members around me that had less, I'm like, I can't do that because then I'll feel guilty that they're not right along with me, right? So I've struggled with that a lot. But I, I love that name because it just embraces, hey, it can be done. And just you, like you mentioned, and what's important to you is just sharing your story. It makes a difference. Now, 
to wrap it up because there's so much I want to ask you because I've loved having this conversation. But to wrap it up, Soledad, if you can tell us what is your best piece of financial advice for other first gen or 1.5 gen Latinas that are listening? I would want to remind them not to let their self-development turn into self-criticism, to be Mm. full of so much compassion and take pride in every milestone that you reach. It's going to happen poco a poco. And you can reach your goals. Just know like you can't compare yourself to other people who don't have like it. Your journey, just only compare yourself to your past versions and then take pride in that. I know personally for myself, like I can't compare myself to people who, you know, grew up with parents that were able to hook them up with like a car or, you know, give them a down payment for a house. You can't. Everyone has, we're all starting in different places in our financial journeys and understanding that like you've overcome so much, take pride in it and just shower yourself with compassion. Soledad, it's been so beautiful to have you here. I appreciate your wisdom. I appreciate your story. I appreciate everything that you shared with us today. Keep being you. Keep pressing forward. You are an inspiration and you're leading the way as well for other Latinas. So I appreciate it. Muchas gracias, Soledad. Gracias a ti. It's so crazy to hear you Jen, say that to me. (laughs) So thank you, thank you. Everyone makes me blush with when they say that. Susie Orman. (laughs) Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I appreciate that, but I just I see myself as the same level, same Mm -hmm. level. So I appreciate those kind words. Well, Soledad, we will be in touch. And thanks again. Thank you. ¿Qué pensaste? I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed chatting with Soledad. You can connect with Soledad on Instagram with at Wealth Para Todos. And that link will be in today's show notes. So I encourage you to connect with her. She posts a lot of really golden nuggets and valuable information. So definitely give her a follow. In other news, I have a special announcement coming up. I know we've had a lot going on with Financially Strong Latina, and I have been working on some things behind the scenes, like I don't have enough to do, but I'm here to serve you, and I am here to help you on your financial journey to become a reina of your dinero, a financially strong Latina. So if you want to know or be in the know when I announce what exactly this is, you can go to jenhempel.com forward slash announcement and you will be notified as soon as we open up the doors. So make sure that you do that. Again, that's jenhempel.com forward slash announcement. Next week, we get to meet Jen. Yes, another Jen, Mitokaya, who shares her journey in navigating money as a DACA recipient. It's such a fascinating story, such a good story. So don't miss it. That is it. Eso es todo. I appreciate you for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. You can check out the show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 260. Remember, being the reina of your money 
starts now simply by claiming it. And I believe in you, and so should you. If you love this podcast, this episode, give it a follow. Look at the podcast app that you're listening from. If you're listening from an app and there should be a follow, a plus sign, some sort of button to indicate you want to follow this podcast. That way you don't miss a beat. You are able to get those episodes as soon as they come out. And I would also love it if you share it with someone you care about. You never know what exactly that person is going through. And the simple act of sharing can change the direction of their financial life for the better. Bueno pues, now that is everything y nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.